Howdy, friends. Listen, before we jump in, check this out. We've got some exciting news. As you know, Peter and I work for Bottle Rocket, and we would love for you to join our team. Listen, we're a work-from-wherever company, and we're self-managed vacation. Not to mention, you get to work with great people. Take, for example, Peter and I. It sounds great, right? So if you are ready to do the best work of your life, and join an extraordinary team. Hit the link in the show notes to see our current open positions and apply today. Our guest this week is a Forbes 30 under 30 entrepreneur, driven by an unwavering work ethic and desire to change the world for the better. He's worked for leading high-tech companies around the world and launched two successful startups, now, as president and co-founder of R0, he's taking on his most ambitious challenge yet, tackling the transmission of pathogens in the COVID-19 era and beyond. It's our pleasure. That sounded almost like a movie trailer, didn't it? It's our pleasure to introduce Mr. Eli Harris. Eli, <laughs> thank you for joining us today. Thank you for having me. That was a very flattering introduction. Uh, much appreciated uh, for your time. He's tackling his biggest ambitious challenge yet. The indefatigable. Theaters this fall. <laughs> well, so it's there like is. like a 90s movies theater trailer, though. <laughs> it's not like true. a modern trailer. It's like when you go and watch the old trailers, and you're like, ooh, this did not age well. Well, what's most impressive about you, Eli, well, one of the things that's most impressive about you, when we say something like 90s movie trailer, you know, you're a young guy, but you're slaying it. Where did you, let's just start here, right? Before we dive into some juice, where did you, how did you become so indefatigable? Where did that drive and motivation come from? That's a good question. Um, I, I think I was raised uh, in an unconventional way. My, my, my folks both had unconventional journeys. My, my dad spent 16 years in Kenya. Uh, my mom spent 14 in India. Uh, and they're both entrepreneurs, uh, you know, not not in the venture back scale that I'm uh, that I'm aspiring to play in now. But uh, they both just uh, hustled and, and and worked hard and put themselves out there and uh, led very interesting lives. And I think I think that model taught me that uh, there are different types of normal. And I never grew up feeling constrained to any kind of uh, socially constructed path. Um, and my one thing my dad always told me, and I. I don't always listen to him, but he said, uh, if you're doing a job you're qualified for, you're doing the wrong job. And I, I always loved that. And oh, that, that wow. was one thing I held on to. Um, and uh, they, they, I, yeah, he just, uh, he, he encouraged me to put myself out there and to uh, tell a big story and, and find myself in unique positions and, and, and say yes. And I, I, I didn't limit myself to a, uh, a preconceived path. That's a great lesson in beating imposter syndrome. It's like chopping it, uh, chopping its head off by saying you should feel unqualified. Yeah, <laughs> you know, I, I love that. Yeah, wow. If you're not uncomfortable, you're too comfortable. That's true. <laughs> yep. See, that's yep. why I keep putting on weight, so my pants <laughs> just keep getting tighter and tighter. <laughs> so I'm like, I need to get more uncomfortable. <laughs> Okay, I don't joking. think it works that way, Tony, but hey, oh, you know, oh, you can oh, keep oh, selling oh. yourself that. Oh, gosh. Okay, sorry. Got it. <laughs> All right, so 
R0. Let's just hear a little pitch. Like, what is R0 exactly, and why is R0? So I I have two partners in the business, uh, Grant Morgan and and, and Ben Boyer. Uh, Grant I actually met seven years ago uh, when I was living in mainland China, uh, and I I was working on my first startup, and he was working on his first startup, and Ben actually sat on this board. Uh, And Ben's a traditional uh, investor and venture capitalist. Uh, Grant and I both uh, totally independently uh, both exited our, our first ventures in 2019. Uh, and I think both of us, I mean, to be first-time founders and go through that motion of, of raising money, building, scaling, and eventually having an exit, uh, I, I think we both really uh, respected and admired uh, the the respective swings that we each took. We really went for it. Uh, and, and we both exited, which is a, which is a success in, in itself for a first-time uh, venture-backed founder. Uh, but neither of us really, ha- it wasn't the fantasy happily ever after, right off in the sunset exit that uh, I think most entrepreneurs uh, uh, think they'll achieve. So Grant and I were both free agents in 2019 and we stayed in touch. And when the, when the COVID pandemic happened, uh, we started thinking about what we could do to kind of help the world come back online. Uh, what we're doing with R0, um, it, it's really snowballed in something bigger than we initially imagined. Uh, when we first started talking, we were kind of likening the pandemic to 9-11 and thinking about how there's certain events throughout history that just create everlasting societal or infrastructural changes. And in a dark way, we kind of likened the pandemic to 9-11 and how in the wake of 9-11, we have the, the entire Department of Homeland Security was founded. You have TSA with 14,000 agents now. Out of 9-11 came a series of events and social and infrastructural changes that still exist today, right? I mean, TSA still exists in the same form. You can't wear shoes or take a water bottle through security. Uh, you go to a ball game, walk the metal detector. These are all a result of the psychological scar tissue after 9-11. And so I, our thesis was that the pandemic is an event that is going to create similar social and infrastructural changes that will persist even after some of this psychological scar tissue starts to heal. Um, like remote work. Yeah, it, it, concepts like that, right? And I think just more largely, I think the world took on a new posture around security after 9-11. And that word security is now being expanded to biosecurity. And I think all shared spaces, all public infrastructure, they're going to have to uphold new standards and how they think about and respect the actual physical health of their patrons and constituents in the public um, or their employees or, or their customers or whatever it is. So we started looking at the infection prevention market as it currently stood. And what we were just boggled by is that it's still dominated by these massive chemical players, Clorox, Ecolab, Diversi, SC Johnson, Kimberly Clark. It's literally hundreds of billions of dollars of market cap. And all of these players push commodity chemicals. Our response to the 1918 Spanish flu was commodity chemicals. Now we're selling the exact same stuff that we were selling post the 1918 Spanish flu. Our response was to put custodians in backpack sprayers and go hose buildings down with chemicals. Um, And that's extremely antiquated uh, and problematic. One is, I mean, it's horrible for the environment. Chemicals only address surfaces. There's a a lot of manual labor, a lot of OPEX and chemical costs, and there's zero compliance. Uh, this, this is there is no technology. Every major industry has been touched by technology now, except for the disinfection industry. I mean, where you have 
uh, automobiles, Tesla, content, Netflix, retail, Amazon. Uh, but for some reason, disinfection, we're still using chemicals. So we got in touch with Dr. Richard Wade. Uh, Dr. Wade is the former executive director of uh, Cal OSHA. And, and he led us on a study to try to understand what infection prevention tools and technologies do exist that we use in hospitals today. And why has it not been socialized or democratized into other industries? I have a question. Yeah. So why do we still use those things? I mean, as surface disinfectants, I mean, chemicals work. Uh, I mean, w w with the right chemicals and the right contact time, I mean, they, they are effective. Yeah. Uh, the, the other side of this is that there's never been a great social awareness or demand for disinfection technology protocol systems in shared spaces outside the hospital. Mm. Hospitals are a place where actually you encourage the ill to gather uh, and, and you, it's a very high risk environment and you're turning over the ill in the same rooms. So, so they've long had the gold standard. Uh, but what's really interesting is our, our health insurance market has always dictated the pricing. So the, what's seen as the gold standard in operating rooms today is the use of UVC light towers. And UVC is actually extremely old technology. It is not rocket science. In 1903, the Nobel Prize for Medicine was awarded for its discovery. The 1910s, we started using UVC light in wastewater. The 1920s in HVAC. The 1940s, we started using these systems in hospitals. The market blew up in 2008. And it's a $5 billion market. And what happened was Obamacare's Affordable Cares Act. So prior to Obamacare, Medicare and Medicaid were reimbursing hospitals for hospital-acquired infections. So if you went to a hospital for a small surgery and left with something else, that was a $40,000 liability for the hospital on average, mm. but it was reimbursed by Medicare and Medicaid. When they passed Obamacare, they did two things. They raised taxes, and two, tried to cut costs down in healthcare to make it more accessible. And Medicare and Medicaid said, you know what, hospital, this happened on your watch, we're gonna stop covering it. So for the first time ever in 2008, hospitals finally became financially liable for incidences of infections on their premises. And when that happened, because we started using these systems in hospitals in the 40s, we had 70 years of clinical data that showed that these systems were indeed effective at preventing infection, but the hospitals didn't care because they weren't financially liable. But what's totally broken is that selling it to healthcare is difficult. There's only a small handful of manufacturers and they price these products uh, based on a value model of preventing infections. What they do is they say, hey, there's 80 years of data now. It shows that if you introduce a system into your facility, you will reduce your hospital acquired infections by 93%. And each of these infections costs you $40,000. In a hospital of your size, with your number of operations per year, we can prevent on average this many infections, which represents this much value. So we're gonna charge you $125,000. Uh, but my partner Grant and I are both engineers. And we look at this, fundamentally, these systems are not that complex. It's largely off the shelf. This, it is not rocket science. So we went out and we raised almost $70 million um, and, and we're backed by wow. uh, the same fund as Tesla and SpaceX and uh, John Doerr invested. He was the first investor in Uber, Amazon, Google, uh, and, and we raised uh, a lot of money. Um, 
And in five months, we brought a product to market that uh, quite honestly outperforms any product being sold in the hospital today. Uh, and it wasn't that difficult to do. Uh, and we're pricing it based off the bill of materials, not extorting value from the healthcare system. And what we can do with that is one is, I mean, we're absolutely uh, totally destroying the healthcare market uh, and, and disrupting that model, but uh, in, in expanding the use of this from the operating room to all facilities within a hospital or, or healthcare more broadly, but we're also able to then price this in a way that it's accessible to any organization. So we're doing a lot of work with schools, jails, prisons, uh, senior care, uh, return to the office. Uh, we've sold them to 14 different industries. Uh, we have over a dozen professional sports teams. So what we've done, it, it, it wasn't that novel. We took a system that's existed for quite literally almost 100 years, but we've just finally made it accessible yeah. to any dynamic organization. I guess hospitality, huge. Huge, yeah. I mean, a lot of these industries have been decimated. What's the barrier? Is it trust that this UVC light can do what it purports to do? And it shows that it can do, or is it just um, you need more of you? <laughs> you know, like what's your roadblock? So th there is an overwhelming body of evidence around the efficacy of, of, of UVC. Yeah, is is uh, being so the the efficacy is, is that that is not in question. Uh, what, what's in question is uh, it, there's just the education barrier. I mean, while this is not new at all, it is new for schools, for jails. Uh, for office spaces. So there's, there's a bit of an education curve and just educating folks on what this product is. And then also a lot of the industries are, are hard hit and, and they're, they've, they've been decimated for years and it is incremental budget. Uh, and where, the, uh, where our very large opportunity comes to play and where this gets very interesting, uh, and this is why we've raised all the money we've raised and in, in, in the direction we're going as a company, is right now we can, we can show that UVC is an effective technology for infection prevention. And there's a lot of data out there, a lot of history, a lot of clinical studies, and we can show that uh, we can inoculate X, Y, and Z pathogen. Uh, but still, you're asking an organization to make an investment in the technology. What gets really interesting is when we can start building a body of evidence around health outcomes. So in the same way that hospitals were able to prove a reduction in uh, infections, if we can go into a school and say, hey, this technology will statistically lower your risk. We can lower the viral load. And this is not about COVID. This is about all disease, common cold, seasonal flu, norovirus, staph infections. And if we can go into a school and materially show an increase in attendance, that is wildly valuable. So we're saying, it, it, one is that, Schools are funded based on butts and seats. They're funded based on average daily attendance. Attendance is also the number one most important factor in student performance. So if we can keep kids in the classroom, that's going to translate to two things. One, better student performance and actually changing the education of our youth. And it also means more funding for the school. So we're right now launching a series of clinical studies. We're working with the Harvard Chan School of Public Health and we've launched a project with one of the five largest school districts in the country. And we're actually going to prove over the course of this academic year uh, with a group of experiment schools versus control schools, can the introduction of this technology 
materially impact attendance and performance. So I have a question. Yeah. And you breeze through this, right? But there was a point when you became a free agent and you thought about what was next and you made your hypothesis about the long-term implications of the world and you went and looked at, you know, the disinfectant market. And you breeze through that, right? But that's complicated stuff, right? Why start there and how did you do your market analysis? Uh, good question. Um, so really, really it does go back to uh, my third partner, uh, Ben Boyer. So Ben, ben is, has a really unique background. He's actually been a venture capitalist for 25 years. Uh, he has been wildly successful. Uh, he was one of the first investors in Lyft, one of the first investors in Eventbrite, uh, a company called Chunar, which is like the uh, kind of like the the kayak or Airbnb of China. Uh, he, he's he's actually raised seven venture capital funds. He's done very well, uh, and, and he invested in my partner Grant's company, which was also a platform company. Um, and and uh, they had their exit in 2019. Um, ben is uh, he, he's built his career investing in platforms and marketplaces. He also trusted Grant and Grant and I had a longstanding relationship. When COVID happened, a lot of Ben's portfolio companies were really hard hit because they were marketplaces. Uh, they were uh, things like Eventbrite. I mean, there was no more events. Uh, Lyft, nobody was traveling. Uh, so he had all of these portfolio companies that were strongly impacted by COVID and he saw a need to help them reopen uh, and one, create safer spaces, and two, rebuild trust. Uh, so Ben actually first reached out to Grant and said to Grant, Grant, I want to fund you, and I want to build a company uh, that is like a, a differentiated disinfection marketplace. So it would be this on-demand app. You can sign people up either on subscription or on-demand, and you can come into any space, a restaurant, a hotel, uh, a, a mom-and-pop retail store, and on demand provide this differentiated hospital grade disinfection. Um, so that was the inception point. And that's when, so that was, it was Ben's idea as, as he was looking at his portfolio of investments. And then Grant reached out to me uh, because I, I, I think, uh, uh, I, I think we all know building a company is, is really, really hard. Uh, and and uh, it, it, I think, having multiple founders, having co-founders is, is proven to be uh, a higher likelihood of success. Uh, so Grant reached out to me originally and said, hey, I think Ben's going to fund us. What do you think about this concept? We went on this study uh, to understand what that would take. Uh, what we learned is that there would be an immense amount of liability in offering that kind of service. And two is the technologies to offer that service didn't really exist. It was largely dominated by chemicals. And then the tools that did exist in hospitals were way too expensive. Uh, so that, that's how we ended up going down this, this path of dissecting this market. Uh, and then Grant and I stayed up. I, I flew out to San Francisco. I stayed at Grant's. We stayed up all night until four o'clock in the morning, building a budget, building a business plan to pitch to Ben, thinking that Ben was going to invest uh, in, in this concept. Uh, and then when we showed up the next day to pitch Ben, uh, he said, no, we're doing this together. And after 25 years, this is Ben's first time in his career ever operating on the inside of a company. Uh, so it's, it's pretty oh, wow. exciting. Yeah. <clears throat> Sorry. That was a little long winded. No, but I think it is an interesting story. Yeah. 
Well, it, it highlights, you know, how impactful this could be, you know, for him to do that. So, yeah, I mean, he, I mean, he was getting paid his, his base salary at his investment firm is about two and a half million dollars a year. Uh, plus the carry he was making on his investments. And he walked away from all that to try to build this. Uh, so because he knows it, the exit could be insane. <laughs> well, it's huge, right? So like I was saying about it, it actually, what I was saying about schools, I mean, if we can materially prove uh, that we can impact attendance and performance, that will fundamentally change the responsibility of all facilities managers in the country. They wouldn't be buying our product. They would be buying additional funding. Similarly, if we go to any corporate environment, all large corporations over 2,700 employees, they're all self-insured. They all underwrite their own health insurance. It makes economic sense, which means they're paying out of pocket premiums and healthcare related expenses for their employees. If we can materially prove that we can statistically lower risk and that translates into fewer healthcare related expenses for their employees, that's a cost savings for the company. So once Tony's going to break this model because his kids are going to still sneeze in his face every day. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to get one of these in my house. Once we can prove these health and financial outcomes, this becomes a very, very interesting company. Uh, But it's a, it's a hell of a mountain to climb to prove it. To find out more, go to r0.com. The letter R. That was very NPR. That was the most NPR outro <laughs> that I have ever heard, Tony. Wasn't that it was beautifully so timed? Like, <laughs> oh, it was. It was like, yeah. R0.com. Oh, um, you know, I'm I'm for hire. If you want, want to do any voiceover for commercials or for <laughs> corporate events, you can just um, email me uh, personally. Now, we're gonna hit you with what's called a lightning round. And then we're going to ask you a final question that we ask every guest. The lightning round has some rules around it. The rules are as follows. You can only answer with one word and then nothing else. It just sits and ruminates. Is that a word? Ruminate? It's more of a word than the word you used at the start of the podcast. I still, I forgot. I was going to write it down to look it up. Indefatigable? What is that? Unable to be fatigued. Look, I didn't even really? do well on my SAT, and I nailed that one. <laughs> indefatigable is In, how you indefatigable. You know, you learn something new every day. Here we are talking about UVC. Now we're talking about SAT words. Yeah, baby, indefatigable. You know, that's why I I also said isn't it indefectible. No. Well, that is a word, but that's why I followed it with, how did you get your drive? Where did it come from? So if you didn't know what indefatigable meant, you knew, how did you get your drive? Where did it come from? Anyway, Eli, this is like most of what we do every single day. It's just BS each other. Silly. Now then, lightning round. Damn, it is a word. Well, I know it's a word, Peter. Oh, you know, I would say that we're going to cut this, but I don't think we should. I think we keep it in. I love it. We'll see. We'll see if we get there. Okay. Okay. So I have the first question. Got it. So Eli, um, key characteristic of an entrepreneur that wants a successful exit, but um, like what is the key characteristic you would guide somebody to? Humility. Oh. 
If you had to say what you needed to work most on, what would it be in one word? Personally or the company? No, no, you, personally. Detail. Detail. The long-term implications of a 21st century pandemic. Opportunity. Isn't that funny? We've, we've gotten that a lot. <clears throat> As uh, there's, there, there exists a lot of silver lining in such darkness. Okay, here's the final question that we ask every guest. This question you can expound upon. Um, it is not a one-worder. Okay? Okay. What non-digital object or thing that you own or possess means the most to you or has impacted your life the most and why? Object or thing? I, I have so few worldly possessions. I feel like I've been living out of a suitcase for seven years, quite quite literally. Um, I mean, it's been the people that have been the most impactful on my journey. Um, you know what? I, I think my answer might be a, a soccer ball. Okay. Uh, Wherever I go in the world, uh, that that is a fabric that connects me to whatever community I'm in. Uh, it, it's been, whenever I move somewhere new, I pick up a soccer ball, and and it's led to a lot of relationships and uh, getting to know a, a new city, a community, a culture. Um, and it also is just the one thing I do that gets me out of my head. Uh, I I think I, uh, I I can be quite obsessive, quite anxious. Uh, I'm often operating under a lot of stress. Uh, and even, you know, if I go to the gym or I go for a run, I, I'm still kind of running loops in my head uh, about my, my, the laundry list of anxieties or to-do list items. Uh, when I play soccer, it is, it is the one thing I do that, that really does take me out of my head. Um, and it, it's made me feel connected to the world and to others and, uh, and, and gotten me out of my, uh, my, my own thoughts about self-grandeur and being the center of the universe and, uh, and all my stresses and anxieties. And uh, yeah, it, it, it really has, uh, it, it's the one thing that makes me feel like a kid that makes me feel part of the world that just gets me out of there. That's a great answer. You know, we all need something like that. Eli Harris, thanks for joining us on Bottle Rocket. It's been a real pleasure. Thank you guys. I mean, we're working so hard, and, and as you guys know, this this stuff is is hard. Um, so I'll take all the all the support I can get, and, and really appreciate the opportunity to to share a little bit about our story and uh, to learn from you guys. <laughs>